I'm Rob Smith, and you're listening to Audio Interference, produced by Interference Archive. In the past few weeks, regular listeners to the podcast have heard an episode on community internet and another celebrating libraries. This week, we'll combine the best of these two worlds. Today, we'll meet Allison Macrina, head of the Library Freedom Project, an organization that's making an impact in local communities, helping reduce the harm that people face online from hackers, law enforcement, and major corporations. We'll learn of the organization's showdown with the Department of Homeland Security and hear of its efforts to scale up to a library near you. Intrigued? Well, let's turn it over to Allison, who will explain it all. My name is Allison Macrina, she, her pronouns. My organization is Library Freedom Project. So in 2013, I was working as a librarian in a library outside of Boston, and a very big news story happened in the middle of 2013, and that was the Snowden revelations about NSA surveillance and all that kind of stuff. In 2013, Edward Snowden, a former contractor for the National Security Agency, leaked classified documents of the government's mass surveillance operations to the Guardian newspaper, sparking a global conversation about citizens' rights to privacy on the internet. Something about the Snowden revelations really struck me as a librarian in particular because libraries have such a strong commitment to privacy. And I think it was because of the Snowden revelations I realized the impact that the loss of privacy really has on regular people and communities. And the, the other difference, I guess, was that people in my community, in my library, were interested in this story in a way that I hadn't seen them be interested in other major news events, you know? So I started teaching some privacy classes. I tried to learn things and teach things that could be implemented in any different kind of library. So I I thought about it from a policy standpoint and from a technology standpoint and from a public education standpoint and also from like a, I don't know how you would phrase this, like an agitation standpoint, like how can we affect political change as librarians in our communities? We have some influence, we have a, we're in a position of trust. And so I just kind of thought about it from every possible angle like that. I had some help from the ACLU of Massachusetts, in particular two people, a close friend of mine named Cade Crockford, and likewise another person at the ACLU of Massachusetts, a lawyer named Jesse Rossman. So they were very influential in my thinking on this. Like, it's not just like, oh, get people to encrypt their text messages. It's like, you know, who does this affect and what does this mean for democracy and kind of bigger systemic questions like that. I never had any aspirations to, to do any big thing. I thought I would teach privacy classes in my library and I was thrilled to be able to do that. When the first other libraries asked me if I wanted to do the same for them, I was like, this is amazing. Some, like people, people really are into this. There's, there's a real need. With the help of grant funding, the Library Freedom Project spread to other areas of New England where Allison and her team were able to train library users in best practices for online security. We got started, you know, te doing this training and um, certain parts of the training, certain topics just came to the surface as things that were of greater interest to our library community. And one of those things was Tor. 
Um, for anybody who's not familiar with Tor, Tor is basically, it's free software um, and an open network. Most people use it in the form of something called Tor Browser, which is just a web browser that you can download. But the difference between Tor Browser and other browsers like Firefox or Chrome or whatever is that Tor Browser by default protects your privacy. So you know your internet service provider can't see the websites that you visit. If you're on Facebook, but you're also on WebMD or something like that. Facebook doesn't know that you're on WebMD. They can't tell what you're looking at on there and vice versa. So it basically prevents anyone from seeing the websites that you visit and what you do when you're going to them, except for the operators of those websites. There was a lot of interest in this, um, and I started thinking about how libraries could use Tor and kind of give back to the Tor network. And one thing that we thought of right away was the libraries were in a really good place to help run some of the essential infrastructure of the Tor network. So one of the ways the Tor works is it relies on donated bandwidth from these things called Tor relays. Tor relays are just computers that have been configured to run traffic back and forth. The more relays there are, the stronger, faster, and more stable the network. More importantly, no single relay sees enough information to be able to de-anonymize you. So we just thought this is something that would be really amazing and a, and a great act of solidarity for um, people around the world because if you run a relay, anyone who's using Tor anywhere in the world can connect to it. And so just like as a as a symbolic and kind of practical act about like celebrating intellectual freedom and privacy and all this. Allison and her team worked with librarian Chuck McAndrews, a privacy advocate at the Kilton Public Library in New Hampshire, to set up the first Library Freedom Project Tor Relay, a decision that would set off alarms in the halls of power. We blogged about it and it got a little like positive press attention and it was just a sweet story. Like it was a cool kind of local thing, especially in a semi-rural library. It's not really the kind of thing that you hear. Almost immediately, the library was contacted by their local police, but on behalf of the local Department of Homeland Security field office. And it was really frightening for this library because they were like, you need to shut this relay down. We don't think this is okay. And we're on, we're getting these orders from this bigger entity. The library was understandably pretty frightened by this. And they contacted us and they were like, we're so sorry, but we don't think we're going to be able to do this. And I shared their concern, absolutely. But I also just like as soon as I got that email, I was like, this is the best thing that's ever happened to us. Because I knew that we had by that point, like Library Freedom Project was working with the ACLU still, but we were also connected with the Electronic Frontier Foundation and some other advocacy organizations that I knew would like not let this library be bullied. So we we basically like called on all of our support network and rallied around this library. EFF started a petition for us. It got like 5,000 signatures in a few days or something like that. We got some really great heavy hitters in the media, including Julia Angwin at ProPublica wrote this whole story about like DHS is bullying this little library. The other benefit to being in New Hampshire is, I don't know if you know, but there's this whole like kind of anarchist, maybe a little bit more libertarian community up there that they've kind of moved to New Hampshire to create like a voluntarist society. And I don't have 
you know, I have a lot of political disagreements with these folks, but I think that in certain respects they are definitely allies. And and one of the ways that they are is that they were they are completely like staunchly against DHS, and they were furious that a library in their community was getting this kind of treatment. So they were very supportive. And then basically it came down to um, the library's board was going to meet and talk about this issue and like what they should do going forward. And they invited the local police to come and, and give their side. And they invited the DHS field office to come and give their side. And they invited the community to come and give comments. You can imagine what a library board meeting in like semi-rural New Hampshire is usually like. Sort of a quiet place. This was like... The Free State people showed up and had this huge protest outside in favor of the library, of course. We went in and it was like packed room. Basically, the, the DHS's argument was they were like, anonymity networks can, be, can hurt children. You know, there's bad people on the internet. They want to hurt children. Therefore, by running something like this, you're hurting children. So this one, one of the testimonies that was most powerful in the face of that was this woman who got up and she had her very young child with her, like three or four years old. And she was like, I hate the idea that there are people on the internet who maybe want to hurt my child, but I want my child to grow up in a world where like, she's free to have you know, intellectual curiosity and creativity and privacy and all these things. So anyway, and the local police sent one person, and I, I actually even felt bad for the guy because he was just like so outmatched, you know? DHS sent no one. And so the library decided pretty quickly at the end of this board meeting that they were going to turn it back on. It was this big victory and everybody was so happy. And then they got this huge flood of positive press attention. It was this big thing. And so I was so happy with how all that went down because it's just like so many amazing things like the power of a local community to stand up to a bully, and the bully in this case is DHS, um, you know, the power of a local community to reject um, government and law enforcement overreach, and that people really do care about privacy. It's not something that they've given up on. And importantly, like, there's, there's something that I believe in very much that, like, if we're going to take back our privacy in the face of all these, like, you know, like, massive government surveillance programs and corporate entities and all this, it really comes down to working together to do it. So, yeah, it was, uh, it was a really special thing. And that was way back in 2015 when that happened. Following the board's decision, Edward Snowden, the inspiration for the organization, tweeted his support, saying, quote, DHS fought to stop libraries from using privacy technology, but library freedom beat them. Librarians are badass, end quote. You know, going back to what I said before about the, the way that I've tried to design Library Freedom Project, we want every library to find what works for them in, in what we teach. So for some libraries that is running relays and there have been more that have started running them. Some libraries want to put Tor Browser on their computers and that's awesome. Um, the Toronto Public Library is actually involved in a pilot project to do that right now. So that's really exciting because they're a huge library system and they're starting with one branch. And if they put it on all their computers, like that would be, I don't know how many thousand, but um, that's a pretty extraordinary um, thing to take on. Other libraries, um, you know, for them, it might only be possible to teach a class 
once a week or once a month about making stronger passwords or something. But that is still a really big thing when you consider how much, um, you know, there's so much on the internet that's a scam. And older folks, poor folks, people who don't have a lot of technical skills, any way that they get exploited, they don't really have anyone to turn to to help them. And so if libraries can become resources to help people defend themselves against these kinds of incursions, I think that that is an extraordinary thing. It's a great use of the space that we already have. We already have this position of trust. We provide free computer assistance to people um, in many places where you can't get that. Yeah, it would be amazing if every library wanted to install Tor, but it's certainly not uh, the, the only way that they can participate in the work that we do. To reach a large-scale audience, Allison created the Library Freedom Institute, a free, train-the-trainer program that lets her share the things she's learned with other library workers who can then spread those teachings to their own communities. Basically what it is, it's a six-month training program. It's mostly online. There's one weekend in person at NYU because they're, they're partnering with Library Freedom Project on this. And every week we examine kind of a different theme of the privacy issue. I, I would say though it's it's about privacy in particular, but more broadly it's about power and the internet and who who controls the internet and 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 how the privacy problem is just one piece of uh, you know the consolidation of these powers. you know so a lot of them are corporate powers. There's five internet companies that control most of what we do online, you know Facebook, Amazon, Apple, uh, Google, and Microsoft. Library Freedom Institute is, you know, focused on what are the practical things that librarians can do to actually challenge those powers and to bring power back to our communities. Essentially, I think of privacy as autonomy or consent. So we, we ran the first round last year. It was the pilot round, and it was awesome. We had 13 people participate in it. Um, you know, you apply, and then we just, you know, select from the applicants. And so we're starting the next round. We're going to begin the institute itself at the end of April. But the the end goal is essentially creating a, a broad community of privacy advocates. So a network that we can, we can rely on each other for support. We can do this work in our libraries and we can um, work together and you know inspire each other to kind of uh, like keep it going. As it's grown, I continue to be amazed by how much people in the library profession, library workers, are still interested and committed to um, even just the idea of privacy, even if they're resigned to the loss of it, like lots of people are. There's something left where they aren't quite ready to give up, and I think that that speaks to um, the the kind of professional ethics that we hold and that is really exciting to me that that all these people care to find out more about the library freedom project or to apply for the next round of the library freedom institute head to librayfreedom.org our thanks to allison macrina for her time you've been listening to audio interference produced by interference archive to learn more about this podcast and other programs at interference archive visit us at interferencearchive.org thanks for listening